unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And welcome to the show once again. Coming up, we're going to talk to Jason Beatty. He is the deputy editor of SI Buccaneers. So we'll talk about the Tampa Bay Bucks in Super Bowl 55 as well. He's the publisher of Knights 24-7. So we will follow up on all the news concerning the Danny White, Josh Heupel leaving to Knoxville and what the Knights are going to do next to fill those two vacancies. Jason Stady by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. And a programming note that uh, I'm going to drop a Super Bowl breakdown later in the week. I uh, just uh, recorded an interview with uh, Carolina Panthers tight end Colin Thompson, and uh, we will have that for you later in the week. So you get two shows for the price of one this week, and you are paying absolutely nothing for this programming. Isn't that great? (laughs) All right, so uh, Patrick Reed, I guess making a lot of news again. Uh, the guy who is a has a reputation for skirting the rules, I guess, in the golf tournament this weekend. Out west, he uh, was picking up a ball before uh, there was any ruling on it. Was it embedded? Was it not embedded? Uh, was it within the rules? Yes. But is it against the unwritten rules? No. But uh, Patrick Reed has a reputation, and uh, you know he did win that tournament by five strokes. But, uh, again, a guy that, uh, you know, has a little smoke, you know, that where there's smoke, there's a little bit of fire, you know? I don't know. Uh, certainly not one of the, the most liked guys on the PGA Tour, that's for sure. From golf to golf. Jared Goff traded from the Rams to the Detroit Lions for Matthew Stafford. So the Rams trying to make a play and make another Super Bowl push. Get a veteran quarterback in Stafford. Goff goes to the Lions, who will be rebuilding. But you watch you watch, mark my words, Chris Spielman, uh, him and his organization, you know, now he's running the uh, football operations there. Uh, they're going to do, do some things in a couple of years. I, I, I thoroughly see that coming. As far as the Rams go, it's interesting. You know, I like Matthew Stafford. He's 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 long been one of the talented quarterbacks in the league, but uh, you know he's had his opportunities to do stuff in the playoffs, and I would kind of liken his career a little bit to Tony Romo. And you know, it pains me to say it, but you know, Tony Romo did not have a ton of postseason success. And, you know, the Lions have been in not not quite as much as you would think they would be. And, uh, and again, Stafford's very talented. He's got a lot of come-from-behind wins in his career. But um, is he the answer? It all remains to be seen. But uh, I don't know. You know, you got to give the Rams credit. They're trying to... They're trying to make a push, but I don't know if if this is actually going to pan out for them or not. But then you know, I also told you Tom Brady wouldn't be leading the Bucks to the Super Bowl, so <laughs> take that for what it is worth.
And joining us now, he is the deputy editor of SI Bucks for Sports Illustrated, publisher of Knights 24-7. Jason Beattie is here. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. So uh, let's first start off talking about uh, the Bucks. By the way, you know, you got the two gigs. Are you uh, are you trying to challenge our friend Eric Lopez for the most uh, media uh, responsibilities? <laughs> No, trust me, I'm 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 in transition with the Knights my first seven site, but uh I'm I can't I can't get away from UCF news, I guess. <laughs> yes. We'll definitely talk about uh, those little things going on over there in just a little bit. But uh for the Bucks big week, you know, they they become the first team to ever host the Super Bowl or play on their home field, mm-hmm. if you will. Um what's the uh, what's the fever like over there? Yeah, it's it's ironic that this is the first time a team gets the host of the Super Bowl, uh, unfortunately, during a pandemic, right, uh, with with limited fan capacity. And, you know, I know they're going to have a good amount of fans and 7,500 healthcare workers that are able, that have been vaccinated, they're able to attend. And uh, But overall, you know, we, we today was the first media day, uh, media sessions with, you know, 10 players from both teams and a bunch of coordinators and coaches. And it's, it's I mean, I, this is my first Super Bowl. I've personally been involved covering the teams and uh, be attending media sessions and things like that. But, you know, I, I think the players kind of, you know, they, they like the virtual aspect of it because you think of, you know, Super Bowl media day, it's, it's hundreds of reporters trying to get sound bites and different questions. And, uh, you know, everyone wants to talk to Tom Brady and, and, you know, I, as he said today, uh, this is like totally different than the nine other Super Bowls like uh, he's been to. And, and, uh, you know, some of the coaches that have been to different Super Bowls before said they wish that the Bucks team could get that normal Super Bowl uh, atmosphere and Super Bowl week just because of the festivities. But I will say for, for a guy like I was on with Rob Ronkowski, and uh, he just said, you know, for someone, for a guy like Kimmy, he doesn't mind, you know, sitting in a room alone and just virtually taking questions. So, um, but I think overall, you know, Rob Gronkowski brought a really good point. He said, you know, the idea of the Super Bowl being in Tampa was always in the back of the Buccaneers' minds, right? Like, you got Tom Brady. Well, that's, you know, he's going to make a playoff run. You know he's going to be back. Um, but they, they ne- he said he, they never really overhyped it. It never was like – there wasn't like a weekly thing they talked about. Like, oh, could you imagine? You know, it was, it was there, right? And even during uh, practices for the championship game, uh, there was, you know, Super Bowl signage being put up and, and – uh, Bruce Arians made it clear. It's like, yeah, we can see that stuff from our practice fields, but uh, you know, we got to win this first game and get to the Super Bowl first. Well, let's talk about uh, the season for the Bucks. You know, they you know were one point seven and five, and then something clicked. What exactly was that that clicked yeah. for them? I, I think it was a number of things. Um, you know, I think that bye week, you know, twelve straight weeks of football. Uh, you know, we have a guy like Tom Brady, who's 43 years old, and a guy like Rob Gronkowski, who I mentioned before, coming out of retirement. And, and you had different injuries between Vita Vea and, and just, you know, 12 weeks in a row of football is real tough. So having that week off for them to not only physically uh, kind of hit reset, but also mentally reset dealing with the pandemic and, and going through all these COVID-19 protocols and, and all the extra stuff that goes into a, a normal, regular football season, uh, you know, that was that took a toll on a lot of these uh, players, I would say. So, you know, between the break and, and, you know, looking at, okay, well, here's what works and here's what doesn't work. And uh, offensively, you know, there was a point where they hadn't scored in the first quarter 
you know, for like nine straight weeks or eight straight weeks, you know, like, so, you know, getting off the fast starts is, is something we've seen during this seven game win streak, you know, scoring in the first quarter and not only, you know, not only having to get out to a lead, but being able to go back and forth with some of these other high powered offenses and teams that are going to put up a lot of points. Um, you know, I think that's one thing that's changed really just the ability to get off to a fast start and, um, you know, defensively, um, I think they, they've used more multiple fronts and they've been able to take care. They've been able to take advantage of that elite pass rush. They have that front seven, just, you know, really just terrorizing quarterbacks and, 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 you know, putting their foot on the gas pedal and bringing pressure. Uh, I think defensively they were able to say, okay, we need to rush the quarterback and, you know, maybe our secondary isn't the best right now, but we've got some, we've got some big dudes up there that can uh, terrorize a quarterback. So I think there's just a number of things that they realized that, you know, here's what we need to do. And, uh, let's go out and win some football games. And that that bye week, ever since then, they've they've gone on a, quite a run. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because you know the defense kind of started off well, then they kind of you know regre- regressed a little bit, and then they kind of got their feet back underneath them again. You know, what is the uh, you know Todd Bowles has certainly got a lot of uh, a lot of notoriety for you know coaching defense in the NFL, and uh, it really is interesting to see what they have done with that pass rush, and they have been really you know. A, a pretty dominant defense in the last couple of games. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, having guys like, uh, you know, Devin White and, and Levante David and, uh, you know, talk about a guy who's had just such a playoff stretch, Sean Murphy and Bunting, I think he's had, a, he's had an interception or some sort of turnover uh, in every game. And, you know, guys like Shaq Barrett and, and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul and, you know, up on the line, um, you know, I think, you know, we we hear we hear the same defense wins championships, and and you know this this does kind of feel like a team of destiny where they've been able to come up with like that one stop you need with five minutes left in the game, or that one turnover, or even multiple turnovers. Right? You know, when they when they played the Saints the last time in the regular season, Tom Brady was picked off three different times. Well, this time around, Drew Brees was the one who threw three interceptions. So uh, I think they were able to you know get things clicking again on defense, and uh, you know really just bring physical physical aspect to the game and, and come up with those turnovers that you need when you're making, when a team's making a run like this. Yeah. And you talk about, uh, you know, Tom Brady, you know, I keep waiting for father time to defeat him. <laughs> he still has it. He was going to his 10th Super Bowl, And I believe you were the one who tweeted out that he's now been in 18% of all Super Bowls. That is a very remarkable number. Yeah. He's, he's the first player, in any of the major sports, basketball, NBA, hockey, baseball, uh, to reach 10 championship games uh, in that for football. So he joins like LeBron James and, and a bunch of other just Bill big Russell, people like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, he's been the more Super Bowls than some franchises, right? Which is just remarkable to think about. Um, and, you know, bringing that up 18%, I think someone replied to me and said, well, if you, Give him the opportunity to even be alive in the Super Bowl. He's the Super Bowl. He's been even able to play in. It's like twenty-five or thirty percent, you know, since he's been alive. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, we we talked with Tom Brady during uh, Super Bowl media availability, and before he said he's wanted to play since he's forty-five, and and today he was asked about that. He said definitely, uh, which is just you know, it feels like you know Brett Favre asked, right? It's you know, it's like how much longer can he really keep going on? And it, it, the difference between him and Brett Favre is. Tom Brady does not look 43. Like he doesn't like he obviously looks like a supermodel. He's, he looks young and he's, he's, you know, whatever he, whatever medicine he's taken, 
uh, whatever skincare he's using. I, I'd love to get some of that so I can look that young <clears throat> in my 40s as well, right? Um, but no, seriously, I think the way he's able to, you know, he still can throw the ball deep. And, you know, that was one concern with a guy like Drew Brees and not being able to throw the ball 15 yards or more. And uh, I think that the deep ball is, you know, a huge part of the Buccaneers' uh, offensive success when they're able to get guys like Scotty Miller down the field. We saw that before halftime against the Saints. But, um, yeah, father time, um, you know, he's, he's keeping a six-foot distance away from Tom Brady, I would say. <laughs> well, you know, you're changing teams from, you know, his legacy with the Patriots, you know, and, and, and you know, he's, he's being coached by Bruce Arians and, you know, and there seem to be some not on the same page thing is going on there and people even perceived it as Arians throwing him under the bus a couple of times, you know, and I guess winning cures those types of things. Um, but what really has made the difference of, uh, for them offensively? Yeah, you know, I think there was a lot of, you know, questions earlier in the season when they were when they were struggling and um, you know, is is Bruce Arians the right head coach for for Tom Brady? He's so honest and and you know, puts a lot of the blame on Tom and you know, maybe former Patriots I know were putting the blame on Bruce Arians and not being able to coach Tom Brady and uh, you know, I think over time during this during this winning streak that they've had and throughout this entire season, you know, Tom said last week like he just has such a great respect for, for Bruce Arians. And he said, everyone wants to win for Bruce. You know, he's, he's, you know, you talk about Tom Brady, his age, Bruce Arians is 68. He's the oldest head coach to make his uh, debut as a head coach in the Super Bowl game. He's the second oldest ever to coach in the Super Bowl game, but the first, the oldest ever to make his debut as a head coach. So, you know, I think, you know, you look at both of their careers, time for running out, that window's closing. And, uh, you know, this entire season, I think, you know, I, there's a lot of speculation as to whether there was actual beef or, or whatever you want to call it between those two. But, uh, you know, maybe winning covers up a lot of things. But uh, I think overall there's a great amount of respect between those two. And, uh, you know, when, when Bruce Arians says he's going to risk it for the biscuit, I think that was a big risk, you know, going after a guy like Tom Brady and, and then putting trust in him. And, you know, if, if there's any someone, if there's any a time or any type of player that needs to go from, a completely different organization to, to, to a team like the Bucks. You know, Tom Brady's perfect dealing with, you know, he doesn't have to have those OTAs. He, you know, with such a weird offseason it was, he was able to come right in because he's, you know, he's so old and uh, he's, he has so much NFL experience. So I think, you know, they understand where they're at and how they've got here. And, um, you know, they had playing, you know, we, we, I think this is the, if I remember correctly, this is like the, you know, you talk about his age and, and whether there was any regression. Absolutely not. I think this is the second second highest number of career touchdowns he's done in a single season. Um, so he's, he hasn't dropped at all in terms of his playing ability. Yeah, and you typically think of you know, a guy that leaves a storied franchise uh, to go somewhere else, you know, and it really hasn't worked out for a lot of guys. I mean, Joe Montana might have had the most success of anybody of, you know, of that caliber. And to think that, uh, you know, the Tom Brady just one year removed <laughs> is going to the Super Bowl with the Bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not like Michael Jordan with the Washington Wizards or <laughs> anything like that. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. You kind of just, you know, it's kind of like the LeBron James effect, you know, let me go to a random city and take you to a championship, you know, regardless, you know, yes, the Bucks do have really good players around Tom Brady. Let it be known. It's not just him. Uh, you know, it's Chris Godwin, it's Mike Evans. And, and we talked about the defense earlier and Rob Gronkowski and guys like that, you know, but to have someone like Tom Brady with, with that much winning and that many Super Bowl trips, 
uh, you know, it just, it just kind of, it did kind of feel like he just came in and said, okay, we're going to the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a tough season and we talked about when they were seven and five and the changes that they've had to make to get here. But, you know, here we are again, Tom Brady's Super Bowl week. <laughs> well, let's talk about their opposition, the Kansas City Chiefs. How do you see, what do you see taking place on Sunday? You know, the Chiefs are the defending Super Bowl champions. You know, they are a very, very prolific offense. Their defense does enough. Uh, how do you think things play out uh, in Super Bowl 55? Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. You know, we talk about Tom Brady being the greatest ever. You know, maybe Patrick Mahomes will be the guy to uh, take that seat over. You know, it's like you look at Tom Brady, 20 years in the league, and, and Mahomes is only in his, you know, fourth or fifth year, right? I mean, it's already in the second Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's like, what is Patrick Mahomes going to look like in 15 years? <laughs> you know, is, are we going to see 10 more Super Bowls for him? And it's like, they were talking on Sports Center the other day. It's like, is this like the most important matchup for Patrick Mahomes? It's like, he's got so much left in his career. And it's like, he's already playing at such a high level. I mean, it, it's, it's really remarkable. But, you know, you know, we've seen this matchup. Uh, the Chiefs won 27-24 in the regular season. That was actually the last game the Bucks lost. Ever since then, they had the bye week, and then they won seven in a row to get to this point. And, you know, the way that and the final score really, really is not a good indicator of how that first quarter and first half went. I mean, it was just like there wasn't a defense for the Bucks in that first quarter. You know, they just came out, and, and Tyreek Hill just blew past Carlton Davis multiple times. So, you know, I think – Tyreek and, and, and uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, who we spoke with today as well. Um, you know, those guys are going to get their touchdowns and their catches. And, and Patrick Mahomes, I'm sure, is going to throw for, you know, 300 yards. But it's it's going to be a matter of, you know, coming up with those turnovers and taking advantage of them, right? It's not just forcing the turnovers, but, you know, against the Saints, they, they, they forced four turnovers and they scored three times on those turnovers. So, uh, you know, for the Bucks to win that game, you know, yes, the Buccaneers can put up a lot of points as well, but the Chiefs can do it much faster uh, and, and much quicker. So, you know, I'm, I'm you know, it, it would be great for the Bucs to win, but I, I do feel like the Chiefs uh, might be too much when it's all said and done. But at the same time, it's it's hard to bet against Tom Brady. I mean, it really is. It's it's similar to LeBron James. It's like, you know, until the final whistle blow, until the clock hits zero, uh, you know, Tom Brady's going to find a way to win for his team. Yeah, or find a way to stop him from getting to the stadium altogether, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about uh, the, the UCF Knights. You certainly are synonymous with your coverage of them over the last few years, uh, Knights 24-7. And um, needless to say, the last uh, several days have been uh, quite uh, earth-shaking, if you will, uh, to, to lose athletic director Danny White and then subsequently head coach Josh Heupel, uh, what goes through your mind, you know, because you've seen the highs of UCF football in 2017, and here we are in a huge transition phase. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and, you know, I think Mike Bianchi wrote a column for the Atlanta Sentinel that UCF should hire a head coach like Gene Chizik, who won't leave after two or three years. And and my thought to that is, no, let, let's keep, you know, plug plug in and keep going, right? Uh, you know, but – you know, this transition period, it's, it's so unique with, with you look at what Scott Frost did and, and what Josh Heupel has done at uh, UCF. I think, you know, I think Scott Frost for UCF was kind of like that first love, you know, the undefeated season, national champs and, and all this winning and then he leaves. And it's like, you know, it's maybe it was unfair for Josh Heupel to compare him to Scott Frost, but, you know, what else were you going to do <laughs> as a fan? Uh, what else was the fan base going to do? So, 
you know, you look at uh, Josh Heupel's time there and, and, you know, fair or not, you know, he, I guess you could say he regressed a little bit, lost more games than, you know, Scott Frost did, I suppose, in that, that 17th season. But uh, it, I think regardless of how you feel about Josh Heupel, you know, losing your athletic director and a coach, your football coach within a week is, you know, is huge for any program. Because, uh, you know, now you not only have to scramble to hire an athletic director, but that AD then has to scramble to hire a head coach. And, you know, those are huge hires that could, uh, you know, change the landscape of UCF athletics over the next five years. I mean, look at how, how much has changed since Danny White came in in 2015 to now. You know, what is the next five years going to look like? And, and is that going to keep, you know, is, the, is it going to keep snowballing or is it going to stop? And, and that's, that's how big of an impact this week has had or, and will have. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they were initially talking about a month or two before hiring an athletic director. <laughs> Obviously, I think that has to be accelerated just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, even when I heard that, I said, Man, I'm not too sure about that one. Um, but, you know, it's, it is interesting. You know, we, we talk about that, that timeline and, and, you know, the man who said that was Alexander Cartwright, uh, UCS president, who's only been on the job not even a full year. Uh, and he's got a huge decision all of a sudden to make, right? We had so much stability with John Hitt for all those years and, and, and George O'Leary. And then Jane Wright comes in and, uh, you know, you get a couple of years with Scott Frost. And, and now the new guy on the block, Alexander Cartwright, you know, he's, he's made it clear before. I think I shared on Twitter a couple of quotes from his, even before he got the job, uh, some of his quotes from when he was being interviewed by the University Board of Trustees. He, he, you know, he described athletics as the front porch to the university. So, you know, I think Cartwright, uh, you know, has a big decision to make, and, and I think he'll do a good job. Does the interim AD Scott Carr have a legitimate shot at this? I, I think so. I really do. Um, and I think the main reason is because he works so clo- closely with, Der- with Danny White. Um, you know, he was really his right hand man uh, in terms of, you know, athletics. And, you know, I think also in, in, internally, there was a number of people who've worked with Danny White, obviously his entire staff from, with Mark Wright and previously Eric Wood before he left. But, um, you know, Scott Carr, I think, I think is absolutely deserving of the job. You know, I know there's a lot of interest in, in this job and people see what Danny White did and, and what he was able to accomplish. And there should be a lot of national interest. I mean, it's an incredible job, right? I mean, you know, you would like to think the next AD is the AD that's able to bring UCF from a group of five conference to a power five conference. You know, we don't exactly know how that expansion is going to work or when it's going to take place, but the idea is the next, this next athletic director will be the person to do that. So uh, I think Scott Carr, you know, is able to, you know, keep the ball rolling and, and he understands the brand and, and how important it is, uh, you know, UCF to, to keep this momentum going. Yeah, and then uh, obviously, you know, that new AD has to hire a football coach. And there's been a huge groundswell of support for one Jeff Levy, who was here uh, under uh, Josh Heupel before going to Ole Miss. And he's now the offensive coordinator there. Um, what do you think about those prospects? You know, it's really interesting. I've never seen, you know, I haven't covered a whole lot of coaching searches, but I've never seen such an outpour of support for a head for an offensive coordinator or whoever to become a head coach from these players you know we, we talk we've, we've seen the tweet from dylan gabriel and and uh you know so many players and, and even former players you know who played and even new players even who didn't even play for jeff Webby. i mean players who are just early enrollees as part of ucf's latest signing class who haven't even you don't even know jeff Levy uh have have tweeted out support um 
you know, I think at this point it would be kind of awkward if he wasn't the pick, right? Uh, you know, what if the new AD isn't, let's say, let's, let's just say it's not Scott Carr and, and someone else comes in and hires, you know, Gus Malzahn or, or, or someone like that. Uh, what, what does that mean for Dylan Gabriel? Because he seems to be, uh, you know, Jeff Levy or bust, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, I don't want to say it puts UCF in an awkward position. You know, obviously a head coach, you know, I know Daniel White has made it clear in the past. You know, he's, he said whenever he's making a hire, he talks with his football team first. Um, you know, maybe the AD will do that too. And they'll just say, we want Jeff Levy. You know, these aren't the characteristics we're looking for. We're looking for this guy right here. Uh, you know, so, but at the same time, regardless of what we've seen publicly from Dylan Gabriel and some of these other players on social media, making a push for Jeff Levy and, and, and even Scott Carr, even, um, I think Jeff Levy makes a lot of sense, right? Not, not just because of, you know, his, his coaching experience and his coaching past at UCF and his recruiting, his helping with recruiting uh, and developing Dylan Gabriel. And, and, but, you know, you look at the players that are at UCF, you know, and what Jeff Levy was able to do and uh, his offensive schemes and, and the number of, you know, points that Missouri or sorry, Old Miss was able to put up and, and the offensive, uh, you know, plays that he calls, um, you know, he was calling plays under Lane Kiff. And I think, Jeff Levy is a, is a great offensive mind and uh, very similar to what UCF, you know, the players that are already there fast and, uh, you know, you, you know, as we say, UCF fast and things like that. So I think regardless of what we've seen publicly, Jeff Levy makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, it's so hard to speculate on a head coaching job when we don't even have an athletic director. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and what interests me about Levy, too, is, you know, he's now got some things he can pull from the Lane Kiffin playbook to bring to an offense, too, which would be a, a, a nice benefit for sure. So, you know, it's kind of a moot point now, but I was kind of of the opinion that this was going to be kind of a watershed year for Josh Heupel in Orlando, uh, given the last couple of seasons. And now we'll never know. But, uh, yeah. you know, but uh, he's going to Knoxville. And if the fan base here is considered rabid he, he's walking into a whole different situation there <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely uh you know we all saw what happened when they tried to hire greg shiano uh before jeremy pruitt and, and just the you know i think you look at you know i watched the introduction the intro press conference with danny white and, and then subsequently josh heupel and uh you know i think the chancellor there i don't remember her name i think it was Plowman, she made it very clear that, you know, just based on recent history with Tennessee, it was, it was a really tight circle of people who knew he was making these hiring decisions. And once an AD was hired, she would leave that AD alone and let them make a hire for a head coach. Whereas before it was, you know, everyone had a say, I guess. And then the fans had power and things like that. But, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, yes, UCF went six and four under Josh Heupel in his final season. And somehow, I mean, who would have thought he would have got an SEC job? And how much of that was because it was Danny White as AD? I'm not sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, six wins is double Tennessee last season, right? And, and you know, when was the last time Tennessee scored 40 points in the game, let alone average 40 points for a season? Uh, That's like you know, three so, games for them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, it was kind of funny, even before Danny White had left for Tennessee, um, you know, UCF added Brandon Johnson from Tennessee, a graduate wide receiver, and he'd only caught like one touchdown over his, his, over his three or four year career at Tennessee. And a lot of UCF fans were saying, Man, what, what, only one touchdown. What's up? And I said, guys, Tennessee's 
really bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they, they have had not had a good quarterback in years. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. I've, I've talked with so many, you know, analysts at 24 seven sports uh, about Josh Heupel and some of the folks at Tennessee who cover uh, the Vols for 24 seven and, and other various Tennessee media who've asked me to talk about what they're getting in Josh Heupel. And I said, the number one thing is, you know, he's a quarterback developer and he has an eye for quarterback. You know, you look at the quarterbacks that he recruited at UCF, even the ones he didn't get like Brock Purdy, he's going to go out and, and develop a quarterback. And he's going to get a quarterback that that's going to be perfect for his system. And, and they're going to put up a lot of points. It's going to be an exciting brand of football, just like we saw at UCF, you know, whether or not Josh Heupel, uh, you know, won undefeated or, or whatever, you know, there's always reasons for different losses. Um, they still average a lot of points and statistically Dylan Gearbill was one of the best quarterbacks in the country this season. So, you know, for a, a football team and a football program with so much has happened uh, over the past decade for Tennessee, I think, you know, regardless, that's, that's huge for them. Yeah, and of course, you know, when Danny White left, it, it's somewhat of a little bit of a shock, but not a total shock because, you know, schools have come calling for him uh, because his track record obviously speaks for itself. But really had to be a, a, a super surprise that here we are talking about Josh Heupel leaving too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I told, you know, I, I talked with my mom before things happen and when I'm hearing information and I'll let her know things. And uh, she said, are you surprised it happened? I said, I'm not surprised that Josh Heupel took the job. I'm more surprised that Danny White hired Josh Heupel and that's nothing against Josh Heupel, but it's like, you know, let, let's say, you know, UCF went 12 and one, then 10 and three, now six and four. I don't know what they would have done. Uh, uh, next season and, and regardless of and how they would have, you know, how next season would have gone and what their record would have been and what bowl game they would have played in and how Dylan Gabriel was. Uh, but I, I would say, I don't think Danny Wright would have fired Josh Heupel, right? Because he, he just saw what has happened in the past three seasons uh, and he hired him, right? And he's paying him double the amount of money and he's, he's letting him, you know, bring his offensive staff from UCF and he's going to let him hire his own defensive coordinator this time around and uh, you know, it, it, it's obvious that Daniel White has a lot of respect for Josh Heupel and, and, you know, it's offense sells tickets, points, score, points, you know, uh, that exciting brand of football, what we've seen sells a lot of tickets. And I think that's exciting for Tennessee. Um, I, I think, you know, you going back to Daniel White taking this Tennessee job for me, it wasn't surprising that he did take a job eventually. Right. He wasn't, if you thought he was going to stay at UCF for the entire career, what are you, I don't know what you're drinking, <laughs> um, but for him to take the Tennessee job, uh, you know, a lot of the reaction I got from fans was saying, why would you want to go there? It's a, it's a dumpster fire. And I said, what did you think 2015 UCF was? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is his opportunity as a builder, as an innovator to change Tennessee. And if he can do that, you know, props to him. That's, that's, that, that's a major task at hand. So he's got a, he's got a lot of work to do, but if anyone can do it, it's Danny White, right? Yeah, no, no question about that. Yeah, he is definitely a fixer, and and you know, and then and, and get back to Heupel for a second too. You know, like this year, his name had not surfaced for any other outside jobs like it had in the last couple of years. So I think the the Tennessee fan base had to be going, okay, scratch our heads a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and it, it was pretty funny. You know, it's it's always interesting. Danny White said Josh Heupel was his first, his top choice, and you know, it's isn't that interesting how athletic directors. A hundred out of a hundred times always get their top choice, <laughs> you know, no matter what the circumstances are. But, you know, I think still at the end of the day, Josh Heupel, uh, you know, 
regardless of how fans feel about him, he, he can recruit quarterbacks and, and, you know, put up a lot of points as a coach. And, uh, you know, yes, he has his flaws. We, we know about them and he's not perfect. Right. But uh, it's, it's still better than what Tennessee's had the last uh, few, few years. What will be interesting to see in the next regime will be, you know, this under Danny White and subsequently Scott Frost and Josh Heupel, they could keep government secrets better than the government. <laughs> they don't let things <laughs> yeah. out. Uh, and they're very tight-lipped about everything. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how, how different it will be with a different regime. Yeah, I'd always thought maybe uh, things would be a little bit more open under Josh Heupel. And uh, I was not, I was uh, disappointed, unfortunately. And it was actually kind of ironic. Uh, some of the Tennessee reporters were asking me, you know, uh, regardless of COVID-19, what was spring ball like you know, and the amount of access you got? I said, get ready for five 15-minute sessions over 20 practices. You're not going to get much, <laughs> uh, you know. So, you know, we, we, we've we even seen Danny White complain about leaks and, and, you know, some of that, you know, he said twice in his career he's had two hires leaked and they've had come in the past week, uh, which is interesting. You know, Tennessee and the SEC is a different dynamic, I would say. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, then, uh, you know, Mackenzie Milton went to the transfer portal and ends up at Florida State. How do you think he'll do? It, it seems like he's at 100% or, or close to 100%. He said, you know, his doctor told him, his mom told the Atlanta Sentinel that if there was a game tomorrow, he'd be able to play. Uh, what does that, you know, what does that look like? I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Um, I, I'm expecting, you know, he mentally – I think he's going to have some doubts um, and his ability to run the ball. I think he's going to be more of a pocket passer than we've seen before. And he's got a heck of an arm to do that, um, you know, but it's, it's going to be interesting. I think spring, you're going to be able to see a lot. You know, I think, yes, he's probably the obvious starter tomorrow for FSU. But at the same time, I think if you're one of those other quarterbacks on that roster, who's more mobile, you might be able to ride a little bit more if McKenzie's not at 100% or, or if he doesn't trust his leg as much as he would like to. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, you know, for me as, as someone who's, you know, known McKenzie since he stepped foot on UCF campus, I'm rooting for the best. Um, I hope he succeeds at FSU. It's, it's, it's really interesting. UCF fans are going to have a lot to watch at other programs if they want to between, you know, McKenzie Milton and Bam Moore at FSU and, you and Daryl Mack at Old Dominion, and now, you know, Josh Heupel at Tennessee. I think there's going to be a lot of UCF fans checking the Saturday night scores and seeing how their uh, former players and former coaches did next season. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing that we could definitely say about Danny White's legacy is, you know, the two words that he uttered after the Peach Bowl, national champions, and we still are getting run off of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it, was, it was really interesting. Uh, hours after Danny White was hired and formally introduced, that night there was a UCF basketball game and they played that intro video and they had the clip, you know, they, they had the Danny White clip and I'm thinking it's like is that going to be continued to be played? Like what is that like? You know, yes, there's a statue of George O'Leary outside, outside the bounce house, almost at Spectrum Stadium God forbid <laughs> Uh, but, you know, the, I think long term, I'll be curious to see how UCF fans view Danny White. Obviously, they're very appreciative, I would say, of, of you know, his of what he was able to do there. But his legacy overall, you know, is national champs going to stay on the practice field sign? Is, not, is 2017 national champs going to stay on the stadium under the new AD? You know, I think regardless of who the next AD is, it has to be someone who's just as confident, right? Someone who's just as confident to say national champs undefeated. Uh, and, and I think... 
you know, in, in years time when we're reflecting on his time at UCF, it's going to be interesting to see how UCF fans judge Danny White. Yeah. And of course you had mentioned off the top, you're over the opinion of, you know, wanting to get the next hot coach as opposed to a retread, <laughs> you know, because, and I'm kind of with you on that camp too, because as much as it is painful to see these guys leave, you know, we also kind of know what you get with these guys that uh, just kind of get, get recycled and, and whatnot. So, you know, like when Kevin Sumlin's name came up uh, during the, before Scott Frost was hired, I'm like, Oh God, dear God, no. <laughs> it's like, so of, of, of coaches that are out there, who do you think would be a great fit other than Jeff Levy? Yeah. I mean, other than Jeff Levy. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's, you, you look at a guy like, uh, Jerry Chadwell at Coastal Carolina and then, you know, even maybe Louisiana, um, you know, some of those coaches, um, you know, I don't, I don't know a ton of other names out there, but, you know, up and coming young coordinators, um, you know, I think, you know, you look at Jeff Levy and, and, and his resume is pretty similar to Scott Frost and his experience, right? You want that up and coming coordinator that maybe, maybe uh, out of left field. I mean, if there wasn't a UCF connection with Jeff Levy, I had to guess he'd probably still be in the running. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, you know, offensive systems out there and, and uh, offensive coordinators out there that I think are looking at this, you know, and saying, well, look at where the last two guys went, Nebraska and Tennessee. Uh, so it's a, it's a heck of a springboard job for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's just kind of life of being, you know, in the, the best G5 conference, if you will, because, you know, Temple's gone through this. Every time they start to get traction going upward, they lose a coach. And, and we, you know, I'm still surprised Luke Fickles at Cincinnati uh, at this point. Uh, it, it, so yeah. it it is a, it is just that that kind of that curse until until we get into a Power Five. That's kind of the cards we're having yeah. to do about to play with. Yeah, on that, um, it's it's until that Power Five tag gets there, right? I mean, and even then. You know, I'm sure there'll be NFL interests for those power five drops, right? It's it's the circle of life, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, no question about that. Well, Jason, uh, this bit of blast as always, and uh, please, uh, you know, let the folks uh, uh, know where to follow you and uh, where to catch catch your coverage of the Bucks and the Knights. Yeah, at the Real BD on Twitter, uh, we'll have Super Bowl coverage all week long at allbucks.com, and then. Uh, hopefully an athletic director gets hired by the end of the week here. That seems to be the direction things are going towards. Uh, so keep up with Knights247.com and uh, keep up with the latest there. So should be a fun week for every, for every team involved. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thanks again, Jason. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And we'll be right back to close out with the TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. Well, hello, Larry.
You may not remember the show, but the theme kind of gives it away. The name of the show, Hello, Larry, an American sitcom that starred McLean Stevenson, aired on NBC from January 1979 to April 1980, 38 episodes over two seasons. Um, McLean Stevenson, of course, was uh, hysterical as Colonel Henry Blake in MASH in the early seasons, and he left because he wanted to go to greener pastures. And uh, he tried a couple of different uh, deals that did not work out. Hello, Larry being one of them. It's a story about Larry Alder, radio talk show host who left L.A. after being divorced, moved to Portland, Oregon with his two teenage daughters. Diane played in the first season by Donna Wilkes, second season by Krista Erickson, and Ruthie played by Kim Richards. 15-year-old me was in love with 15-year-old Kim Richards in 1979, and she would later become... Uh, a socialite and also on the uh, Housewives of Beverly Hills, which I've never seen, nor will I ever, but uh, there you go. And uh, Hello Larry uh, uh, probably was not a great show, but uh, McLean Stevenson certainly uh, gave it a gave it a whirl. Other members of the show, Joanna Gleason is Morgan Winslow, um, uh, What's his name? Uh, who was the engineer? Earl George Mamoli was the engineer. And in season two, running a sporting goods store in Portland was Metal Arc Lemon, starring as Metal Arc Lemon. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Hello, Larry from NBC in 1979 1980 as our TV closing theme. And again, we'll have a second show this week in just a couple. Days you'll hear from Carolina Panthers tight end Colin Thompson. He'll break down Super Bowl 55, or what I call like to call Super Bowl double nickel. And Colin will do that for us uh, here uh, later this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.